Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy 3. And uh, there you go. 2 Timothy 3, in a moment we'll get started. All right, Brother Keith, um, if you weren't here this morning and didn't get part one, I'm not going to really review it, but if you want part one, if you weren't here this morning, this is part two tonight, raise your hand right now if you didn't get part one this morning, if you didn't get part one, raise your hand and you'll just have to kind of read that uh, on your own. Now, uh, we're up to number six tonight, and our message is entitled, Ten Great Evil Feats of Satan. And if you notice on the title of your notes, the word evil, we have the word E in, in, in quotes, because we're using the alliteration, using words that begin with E to teach us about the lies that the devil is uh, giving us. The first time he ever opens his mouth in the Bible, Genesis 3, he's lying. He's lying. And we saw in our introductory verse this morning, John eight forty four, that he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And boy, he just keeps telling them. And a lot of them are just kind of like the same old lies in new packaging. Uh, for this gen- generation to think it's something new we've discovered, and it's not. And he is really a fool in a lot of people. Uh, this morning we talked about the lie of evolution, the lie of ecumenicalism, the lie of existentialism, the lie of <laughs> esotericism, and the lie of emotionalism, and we ended up there, and I was thinking about the poor children tonight uh, who've come to church. God bless them. I'm glad they're here. I hope they, I hope they can get something out of this. But because uh, I, I had to look up a lot of these words myself, like what does that word mean? But this is an outline that uh, Pastor Wade Prime gave us uh, when we were at a uh, fellowship in uh, preachers' fellowship in Seneca Falls in November, and he was preaching along, preaching the sermon. Then at the end, he passed this out for us to be aware, and he just he went through it real quick. And he thought maybe it would help our churches, and I, I think it will. Those, those lies that we went through this morning, especially, boy, I wish I could have spent more time on number five, the lie of emotionalism, because, boy, every one of us, every one of us, boy, our emotions can lead us far astray and make us really feel like what we're doing is right, but it doesn't line up with the Word. It doesn't line up with the Word. And uh, finding a man or a woman who, is, who has their emotions in check is finding uh, a very, very um, strong person. It says in uh, Proverbs 16 and verse um, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. And, and so if you can rule your emotions, you're better than the mighty. You know, like some championship MMA fighter, some championship weightlifter, uh, some all-star football player at the peak and prime of their physical prowess. The Bible says if you can rule your emotions, you're stronger than somebody who looks physically fit. And then it says, and he that ruleth his spirit, then he that taketh the city, some great military general who leads uh, some 
a division or something to take a city. You're greater than that general. So I, anyway, I can't. I got to go on. Uh, but tonight uh, we're going to see more lies the devil's telling. And number six is the lie of egocentrism. This might be a little bit easier to uh, kind of figure what this is talking about by the first three letters, ego. We've all heard that word. But he teaches the lie of egocentrism. That is the devil. What does that mean? It means everything is in view of pleasing self. Taking care of self is the number one goal of life. Self-interest is the number one motivator and responsibility. Self-esteem is more important than developing character through failure. Take care of yourself first. That's what egocentrism means, where you actually think the universe revolves around you. And you start thinking everybody else should think that. That everything revolves around me, you know, kind of, you know who I am type of a, uh, a lie, when really we're, we're nothing at all. Um, but this here was prophesied, and we see it more today than ever before. It wasn't always like this. It wasn't always like this. You're just going to have to trust some of you younger ones, someone who's a little bit older, that it wasn't like this always. We, we, we didn't have a, a nation like this of chess beaters and... And uh, I can remember when uh, uh, a guy named um, Muhammad Ali started going around saying, I am the greatest, and it just was like, it was just like contrary. It, it just rubbed everybody the wrong way. Uh, now everybody talks about, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, or who's the greatest, and this is egocentrism. And we know these scriptures from the prophecy which say here in 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Why? Here's why. Because men shall be lovers of their own selves. Those are the most dangerous people on earth. That's why there's perilous times today. Is because men are lovers of themselves, their own selves. It's not because they're thinking about others. You know, they don't trash somebody's house or property or rob somebody or steal or kill because they're thinking about them. They're just thinking about themselves. And this is why we have so many problems in maybe marriages and families and businesses, churches. Self-love, verse 2, causes the perilous times of verse number 1. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And so we, we see their misdirected love. They love pleasure more than God. They love themselves more than anyone else. And this is egocentrism, which is really amped up in these last days, even fulfilling another prophecy about Laodicea being the last age before the rapture. Because the word Laodicea literally means uh, the people rule, or the rule of the people. That in the last dispensation of the church age, the seventh, the Laodicean age, it's going to be the rule of the people. The rule of the people. Not the rule of Christ. 
but we rule. And we're seeing egocentrism uh, today. We even feed this in our world by giving people participation trophies for doing nothing, for accomplishing nothing, for winning nothing. Uh, just to stroke their egos, make sure we don't hurt their little feelings or anything. And as he said in his definition, self-esteem is more important than developing character through failure. I thank God for failure. I thank God for defeats. Uh, I thank God for losses. And uh, boy, the, the lessons we learn through those. I thank God for the times when someone else got the trophy. Someone else won the championship. And you went through those times where you had to try to figure out what, what did we do wrong? What could we do better? Business failures. Um, so many uh, failures. Uh, failures at, at relationships. Failures in church work. Uh, anything we're trying. Those things are good for us. It's good to fail once in a while. It's good to lose. Uh, it's good to realize someone else is better than me. Uh, the Bible tells us in Philippians to esteem others better than yourself. That's not egocentrism. That's Bible. That's Bible. Uh, turn over to Luke 9. I think this is maybe the best verse in the Bible on what we should do with self. We shouldn't love self. We should do the opposite. What does Jesus say? Luke 9, verse 23. Uh, <clears throat> and he said unto them all, all means all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice two things here. We're supposed to deny self and we're supposed to die to self. Taking up your cross is a symbol of dying to self. When I'm sure if you and I lived in the Roman Empire and you saw someone carrying their cross, you said, well, that guy's dead or he's going to his death. And when it says we should take up our cross, symbolically, spiritually, it says we're, we're going to our death. Uh, not to talk about how great we are. Egocentrism. So the Bible, Jesus rather, teaches the Bible, teaches us to deny self and die to self. Not be lovers of your own selves. Uh, that's what brings peril. A self-loving person brings peril to their marriage, to their family, to their church, to their business, to their neighbors, if all they're thinking about is themselves. So we see that lie in uh, uh, just, just full speed today. I guess we could almost rename number six humanism. Humanism, humanism being the religion that says we do not need God. We humans can take it from here. We'll do just fine without God. And you can see our nation kind of going downhill ever since they adopted that. But Satan's a liar, and he wants to tell you that pleasing self, taking care of yourself is the number one goal, the first thing uh, in your life. Now, the no number seven is the lie of Epicurism. Epicurism, there's actually a form of this word in the Bible. If you'll turn to Acts 17 and verse number 18. Now, Epicurus was a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, uh, who lived about 300 years before Christ. And so his philosophy took root in society so much that Almost 300 years after he died, 
almost 300 years after he died, we read this in Acts 17 and verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto Jesus uh, the resurrection. And so we see Paul here in Athens on Mars Hill, and he's trying to reach the people on the level uh, that they're at, which is good evangelism. Um, the Romans road is great, but you probably wouldn't want to use it here. Uh, they got a big statue up that he's preaching next to that says, to the unknown God. And he says to everybody, hey, see this here, to the unknown God, let me tell you who that is. And he takes that opportunity to preach about Christ. But anyways, there in Athens still, almost 300 years after the death of Epicurus, are the Epicureans, and these are your hedonists. These are your hedonists. Uh, the definition of this is you deserve the very best. Live Life should be pleasurable, prosperous, calm, serene, and without struggles because you deserve it. All men are basically good. Evil men are just a product of their culture or upbringing, not because of sin. And so that's what Epicurus began to teach. He himself wasn't a hedonist, but by this time, They had become hedons that were basically just animals that just lived for pleasure. Two things Epicureans tried to avoid were fear and pain uh, and replaced that all with pleasure. Life should be a total pursuit of pleasure and a total avoidance of fear uh, and pain. Therefore, Epicureans did not really get involved in things like politics and other things, uh, leadership, because that's a lot of pain, and um, uh, a lot of fears. And so they just kind of stuck their heads in the sand, hoped that all fear, anything fearful would avoid them, anything painful, let's avoid those at all costs, and let us just be hedonistic. That is, whatever possible pleasures we can find, let's indulge in them all the time. Well, does that sound like today? Sounds like some today. We just read about lovers of pleasures more than lovers of uh, God. And so they lived uh, by the philosophy that uh, Paul talked about in the church at Corinth and how there was a famous saying in those days recorded for us in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse number 32 If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And so that became a famous statement that was actually based on the Old Testament in the days of the prophet Isaiah. They were saying, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And that is Epicurism. All right, let's just eat, let's just drink, Let's just find every pleasure we can because our time's running out and then we're just going to die and cease to exist like dogs or something. And uh, so we're here and we're seeing that. Uh, we're seeing Babylon, the, 
the grate just becoming the cage, a very foul and bird you can imagine. Um, and it's heading that way. It's so bad that in resignation, John, by the Holy Spirit, would write about the future. Let him that is righteous be righteous still. Let him that is filthy be filthy still. Uh, there's just some people becoming filthy because of this lie of the devil that this is the only life you're going to live and its only purpose is to find pleasure, as much pleasure as you can, until you die. Eat, drink, and be merry. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. I don't know if it's a new word, or if I'm just so far detached sometimes, but sometimes my vocabulary has to catch up with these days, but we hear about foodies nowadays. Foodies, 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 foodies. They just live to eat. They just live to eat. you got cooking shows and food shows all over, I guess, cable television or whatever. I don't watch them. But um, uh, you can just see that whose God is their bellies. Whose God is their bellies. And man, a lot of we could get stuck there, couldn't we, and talk about the health of our country and even a lot of people around the world. But let's go on to number eight. The lie of eclecticism. Eclecticism. This, by the way, Epicureanism, that, that's disguised in, in some of your television preachers. Uh, there's one television uh, preacher who preaches this, your best life is now. Your best life is now. No, it's not. Man, this is nothing. If you just give your life to Christ and... You know, tell Justin Dye, wherever he is, tell him, your best life's now, Justin. You're in God's will. This is the best. No, I mean, they're over there. They don't know if they're going to have electric. They don't know if they're going to have food. They don't know, you know, what... what and, and missionaries and, and, and a lot of people suffer for Christ. But if we suffer for Him, we shall reign also. We'll reign with Him. And, and this life is oftentimes a valley of tears and sorrows and heartache and suffering. And, and, and we wonder why, you know, some good people, even in our own church, even lately, some, some of the best people in our church have suffered so much loss. This is not our best life now. Now, boy, tens and tens and tens of thousands of people listen to that guy. It's Epicurism, uh, only with a religious flavor wrapping to it. No, our best life's coming. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And it tells us about people that just suffered there in Hebrews 11 and verse 32 and, and would not accept deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Our, our best life's not now. That's not the way God designed it. Uh, but we, we, we suffer, we choose to suffer with Christ so we might obtain a better resurrection. Number eight, the lie of eclecticism. <clears throat> this word means that God has already preordained the affairs of man. He will save only who he chooses. All others have no escape from hell. All men are mere pawns on God's chessboard. God definitely has favorites. This is what they say. And he does not consider man's will in the equation. No free will. There's nothing you can do to change that. Now this is extreme eclecticism. 
This might also be called today hyper-Calvinism. Now, there are some Calvinists who are good people. They're soul winners. They love the Lord, try to win people to Christ. They don't believe this. But hyper-Calvinists do. I remember asking one guy, I said, do you mean if I walk out the door and I fall down the steps and crack my skull open that that was preordained by God whenever million? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. I said, wow. Wow. But that's what he believes. It's the lie of eclecticism. The man has no free will that we're just, you know, pawns on a chessboard and God moves us around and, and there's not a th- single thing you can do to uh, avoid that. Uh, the hi- hyper-Calvinists call it irresistible grace. Uh, they, irresistible grace means you couldn't stop yourself from getting saved the day you got saved. You had nothing to do it. God made you get saved. And their tulip formula, if some of you know about tulip, if you don't, good. But the I in tulip stands for irresistible grace. You couldn't, you had no choice. When God wanted to save you, He was going to save you, and there wasn't a thing you could do about it that day. Eclecticism. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 13, verse 34. If eclecticism is true, you wonder about verses like this, don't you? Uh, some of these verses just make you wonder. When Jesus said in Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. Now notice this. And ye would not. And ye would not. How often I wanted, that was his will. How often I wanted you to, to be like, like, uh, like a hen that gathers her brood under her wings. And ye would not. This is what I wanted, but you wouldn't. And your will trumped my will. Your free will. It's called free will. And we shared, I think it was Wednesday night, so I'll be brief with this, some of the verses uh, about that. We were talking, Pastor Barron, and about sound doctrine. And, and uh, Matthew 18 and verse 14 is a verse I think we should all know. And, Memorize, even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And remember 1 Timothy 2.4 from Wednesday night, who will have all men saved and uh, come to the knowledge uh, of the truth. And then there's another one that's very good, I think, in Peter's writings, 1 Peter 3 and verse 9. Um, Excuse me, maybe it's 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I mentioned last Wednesday night, sometimes we are puzzled, saying, why does God let this person live so long? Because He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Some of these people in the Bible, like Nebuchadnezzar and Manasseh, you know, they found their peace with God really late after they had done a lot of evil. A lot of evil. 
And somehow His grace is sufficient. There's, there's no sin that is a match uh, for the grace of God. So He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Turn to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. I like the last word. You like the last word? The Bible, I do believe, is a progressive revelation. It starts in Genesis, and then you take whatever it is you're studying, whatever theme, whatever doctrine, go all the way through, and you've got to go all the way through to the end, and then compile everything the Bible says about that particular subject before you start making your conclusions on what, what is God trying to say. Well, you get to Revelation chapter number 22, and you get to verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's kind of like an exclamation point, a last word. But before I close the book, I want you to know, if you're thirsty, come. The Holy Spirit says, Come. The church, the bride says, Come. Whosoever will may come. Let him come and take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. And so we're a whosoever will church. And I, I, know there's, I know there's God's involvement in it too. I don't ignore those verses. I don't pretend they don't exist. I don't, I don't know how to explain them. Uh, but all I know is that our Lord taught us to go to everybody on earth and share the gospel with them. And whatever they do with it, whosoever believeth shall be saved. You know, whatever they do with it is their, their business. But our Lord was an every soul, soul winner. He went after everyone. Paul went after everyone. Remember that? He says, I continue day and night preaching the gospel to the small and great. So follow their examples. If, you don't, if we don't completely understand uh, some of these deeper things, follow their examples. They tried to lead everybody they could to Christ. And that's how we should be too. Don't fall for this lie of eclecticism that God has already preordained the affairs of man. No, no, you're an individual with a free will. Your parents can't save you. And your pastor can't save you. And uh, your loved ones can't save you. Everyone here in this room, it's got to be a personal thing. God has no grandchildren. You must be born again. You must become His sons or His daughters by your own personal faith. In Jesus Christ. The lie of egalitarianism. I'm just going to say that once. Number nine. This one is very current. All men should have equal rights to do as they please. Regardless of beliefs, actions, morality, gods or no gods, equity is the buzzword. Boy, you hear that all the time now. In Washington, you hear it in Albany, equity, equity, equity. Uh, I hear some of the politicians today, and uh, there's two, two famous ladies in politics who, who love to use the phrase long-standing inequity. Long-standing, we must give special favor to transgendered people because of America's long-standing inequity towards them. We must give special favors to the homosexual, because there's been a long-standing inequity towards them by this country. 
And people say, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, and, and they'll use this oftentimes to, to say, look at the marijuana shops that are around. You know who's running them? You know who gets first dibs in New York State? You know New York State? The ones that get the first licenses to start a, uh, a marijuana shop are those that have been previously incarcerated for selling marijuana. I'm serious. They let them out, and they say, we are so sorry we ever put you in prison for this. And so we're going to favor you in getting you started with a business selling marijuana. That's New York State. The Empire State. <laughs> Real geniuses. Real geniuses. It's called inequity. They said, we should never have put you in the prison in the first place. That was inequity. And now there needs to be equity for all, so we're going to favor you to try to make up for the inequities we showed you in the past. That's what is called egalitarianism. And it's a buzzword that, listen, we've we got to try to make it somehow that everybody's equal. It's not possible. We're not all equal. Every one of us is different from each other. Some are just born more gifted than others, and, and, and some are, are, are more brilliant than others. We, what, what can we say? You know, Einstein had an advantage. And, you know, it's, it's, I mean, they're even trying to, like, with women's sports, well, women should be paid the same amount as men. Yeah, but the law of supply and demand doesn't demand that. And uh, you, you, just, you just see this creeping in everywhere, this quest for equity. It's not possible to be equal. There are areas where women are far superior and different in some, men, in some areas than men are. We could never be equal to them in some areas. And there are some areas where men are far superior to women in some areas. And there's no way they can ever, the two can ever be equal. Things that are different are not the same. It is not possible. And this doctrine is, is taught uh, today. It's really gaining traction. That we have got to, you know... Uh, whoever it is, like I said, all those letters this morning, LGBTQIA+, and all those people, we have, we, have, we have shown inequity towards them as a country, and now it's time to pay. And now it's time for them to have special uh, rights and recognition and help. And uh, Jesus said something here, and I'll read this for you. Listen to something. He said, it's a simple statement, but uh, he said, in Mark chapter 14, verse 7, he says, for you have the poor with you always. Just a fact. You're going to have rich people, you're going to have poor people with you always. You know, if you gave 100 people who had nothing, $10,000, 100 people, you give them all $10,000. 
in a week, some of them are going to be broke. And 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, some of them are going to be rich because they invested it and they saved it and they, they found ways to, to multiply it. And you're going to have inequity. Because some people just know what to do with money better than others. And the Lord says, the poor you have with you always. You are always going to have poor. And he said, um, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. Some are going to never have the same mental acumen as others. All right. <laughs> I've been talking to a few people about money. I have no idea sometimes what they're even talking about. Um, you know, investing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? But they know. And they know how to work it. See, people come in all different sizes and shapes and gifts and abilities and mental acumen. And uh, it, is, it is not possible. To make it fair for everybody. But it sure is expedient for them as politicians to say those things, to pretend they care, and to get people to vote for them because somehow they think they're going to pull it off. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Some people have a disadvantage in life. Life's not fair, but God is. God doesn't care if a person's male or female. You can come to God. A woman can come and be saved by God as fast as a man can. A woman can get her prayers answered as fast as a man can. God will show her things from the Bible and, and wisdom. We had testimony tonight of a lady praying about some of the decisions in her life and how God did amazing things for her. Don't believe this lie. Don't believe this lie that uh, somehow... We've got to make everything equal and everything fair. You know, what, you know what the end of that is called? Communism. Communism. We're going to stick you all in communes. You're all going to get the same amount. It doesn't matter how much you work or how little you work. We're going to give you all the same amount, same amount of food, same amount of freedom, same amount of milk, potatoes, sweet potatoes, parsnips, whatever. We're going to give you all the same amount. That's the end of this. Is communism. Last of all, the lie of experimentalism. These are all lies, the lies of experimentalism. There can be no understanding without experience. You will never know if you like it or if it's good for you unless you try it. Try it and you might like it. If the experience is good and it feels good for you, it's right for you. The experiential triumphs the factual and the word of God or any authority on the issue. And so experimentalism, uh, you know, how are you going to know if she's the right woman to marry if you don't live with her for a while and try her out, you know, like a car or something? Try him out. Uh, drugs, gambling, drinking, whatever. You, you, you've got to experience all of these things. 
You can't understand what someone's going through unless you experience what they are going through. And you'll never know if it's good for you unless you try it. Well, the Bible says we should be simple concerning that which is evil. Like the old saying, you don't have to lift up the lid on a sewer to know that it stinks inside. If there's a lid and it says sewer on it, you don't have to say, well, I'm not sure. I better experience this. And so you take the lid off and jump in. And you come out and say, man, it stinks inside of there. I've experienced it. Well, somebody else can say, I believe it stinks in there too, just as much as you, but I didn't experience it. And so we don't have to experience everything. Jesus said some really interesting things about personal experiences. Listen, I'm almost done, but listen to these. In Mark 8, verse 4, he said, See thou tell no man. About this wonderful experience. Mark 8, 4. Mark 9, verse 30. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. Matthew 12, verse 16. And he charged them that they should not make him known after he had done this amazing thing for them. Matthew 17, verse 9. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man. Notice those four times there in just Matthew where somebody experienced something just absolutely amazing that God did for them and he said, I don't, I don't want you to tell a soul about what just happened to you. Now why is that? Because people can get confused by your experiences. I've heard people say things like, well, if you're really saved, you've got to go come down to this altar here and have some altar worker take the Bible with you and, and, and open the Bible up to you and you've got to trust Christ as your Savior and your life's got to change. You've got to give up all your sin. Because that's what happened to them. That was their experience. But that might not happen to you. See, thou tell no man. I was standing in church at the invitation, heard the gospel say, that, that, I need that. The pastor said, if you need that, pray this prayer from your heart, right where you're standing, and ask Christ to come into your life and save you. And so I did. I've been saved ever since. But I'm not going to say that has to be your experience. My brother Dave got saved kneeling down by his bed. After church, he came home thinking about what he had heard, got down by, by his bed on his hands and on his knees, and he asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Savior. And he wrote that in his Bible. The date, too. I saw it. But that doesn't have to be your experience. Somebody may go to an old-fashioned revival meeting, get gloriously saved, their lives totally change. It's almost like they give up all their sin, and then you're thinking... That didn't happen to me, man. I'm still struggling with some things in my life. What, what, what in the world? And they go around, some of them go around preaching that, that, that if that doesn't happen to you, maybe you're not really saved. 
and you're starting to like, that didn't happen to me. My, my salvation wasn't that glorious. I didn't have floods of tears coming down my eyes like this guy, and my life totally radically changed, and I gave up drugs and alcohol and all that. We've got to be careful about our experiences, that our experience does not take the place of the gospel. I remember one guy said, how did you get saved? He said, I was reading Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And while he was reading it, he was driving around in his car and he said, Lord, if that church is open, I'm going to go into that church and I'm going to do what this book says right here. And he stopped there and the church door was open. And he went in and trusted Christ as a Savior. But you don't go around and tell everybody else, you need to read Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, or you're not really saved. And so we, we have to be careful about this lie of experimentalism that it, in the church it doesn't replace the gospel or doesn't replace Holy Ghost sanctification. I don't know why the Holy Ghost sanctifies some people faster than others. Some people just seem to like, bang, they're changed. New creatures in Christ. Others just kind of struggle along sometimes for decades, sometimes with the same thing, trying to get the victory. And we got to be careful about our experiences. And sometimes we'd be better off following Jesus when he does something great for us and just says, tell no man. See, and some people have these experiences they, they, they talk about their experimental religion I've met them, I spoke in tongues I was in a trance I've had dreams I've seen Jesus at the foot of my bed and you're like man that doesn't line up with the scriptures I'm sorry, I love you but i got to stick with the scriptures no matter what your experience is or what you may, may have saw or heard, I gotta stick with the scriptures. And we gotta we gotta be careful about this experimentalism. Whether it's out in the world, you don't have to experiment. You young people, you don't you don't have to experiment. You've heard enough people, young people, how rotten it is, how miserable those people are uh, who are living in sin. You don't have to go out and say, Well, maybe it'll be different for me. It won't be. You don't have to. Experiment out in the world and in your religion too. If you, I, I know a guy. I love him. He's up at Countryside. He says, "Man, I don't remember the day I got saved, but I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and the fruit is there of a changed life. And he's lived for God for decades." He says, "I can't put my finger exactly on the date and time when I got saved, like some people say you have to." My brother, I could go on and on here. I'm like that, but. I've got to tell you a story about my brother George in Bible college. George got saved about the same time I did in 69, 70 around there. <laughs> he goes, and he just, George just changed. I, I didn't. I was a little slower coming, that's for sure. Everybody knew George was going to be a pastor. I mean, when he was a teenager, they were letting him fill the pulpit at the West Falls Bible Church. They wouldn't let me near the pulpit. <laughs> but he was filling the pulpit. He goes down to Bible College at uh, Lancaster Bible College in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 72. It was a pretty strong evangelical college at the time. I don't know what it's like now, but there's an evangelist in town. They're having evangelistic meetings, revival meetings, and he 
was going to go out and do some visiting in Georgia. Wow, what an opportunity to uh, evangelize, get some experience with this guy. So he's in the car driving around. The evangelist says to him, so George, tell me, what day, what day were you saved? And George says, well, I can't remember the exact date. And before you know it, bang, the guy slams on the brake. George thought he was trying to miss a deer or accident or something. Like, what happened? And he pulls over. Stones are flying. Dust is going. He says, you don't remember the date? He said, no, not, not exactly the date. He said, George, you need to get saved. And he went through the gospel. You know what my brother George did? My brother George eventually prayed with him just to get out of the situation. Just to convince the guy. Because that guy had one way, or you're not saved. And so, and so George, he just prayed the sinner's prayer with the guy just to make him happy and so we can go on with our day. And uh, so, well, we have ten lies here, at least. But uh, I hope you'll take these notes. Be familiar with the devices and the wiles of the devil. Because, boy, he's throwing everything. The kitchen sink, the refrigerator, he's throwing everything at us these days. And, and we've got to know these things. All right, let us pray. Our Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this weekend and for opportunities to exalt your Son, Christ. We pray for those, especially the unsaved that were here, the funeral, those that came this morning. Thank you for guests, the visitors this morning. We pray for the salvation of souls. Lord Jesus, you taught us about the devil on 15 different occasions. And you told us that our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, and that he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. We've seen some of them. Thank you for Pastor Prime, and thank you for this information he studied out, and we have relayed to our church, oh God, we pray we wouldn't be deceived by these things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service. Turn into page 100. And as we sing, if you need to come and pray about anything tonight or for somebody, feel free to come. The altar's always open. God's house is the house of prayer. Jesus is all the world to me. Page 100. When you find that, let's stand and we'll sing. Come if you need to pray.